podcast to honor the gods. This better come with a sacrifice. Dave X Media. Contend Capable acknowledges the indigenous people on the land on which we record this podcast, the Tarongorong people. We offer our respect to their elders, past, present and emerging, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Sovereignty was never ceded. Welcome to Content Capable, a podcast all about people following their passions uh, and being even more awesome than I could ever possibly be. Um, my name's Sam, I'm your host, and this week I am joined by the wonderful Bianca Wiley from The Daily Red with Bianca Wiley. Hi, Bianca. Hi, Sam. Thank you for having me. Um, Bianca, for those who may not recognize your voice, a um, could you explain what the Daily Red is uh, and um, also uh, a little bit about yourself as well? Yeah, of course. So the Daily Red is a podcast which I started last year, um, mid last year, and it's a podcast all about the Brisbane art scene and all about the different types of artists that we have within the scene. So, for example, one week I may talk to someone who um, has a disability, whether that is a physical disability or a, neurodiver- a neurodiverse um, First Nations, uh, someone who has been in a major production or puts on their own production, um, people who are CEOs of big arts organisations in Brisbane. So it's quite varied in terms of who I speak to and that's to give, you know, a lot of scope to different people within the scene and be across all of it. And we're also expanding into visual arts this year, which is something that I myself don't have a lot of knowledge about. I come from a performance background, sort of like you, Sam. French horn, singing, drama um, was the lead in my school musical. So visual art is something I've never really done or covered. So I'm looking forward to that um, and talking to those artists as well. And a little bit about me. Um, I met Sam at Z. We both started as <laughs> interns. Well, actually, Sam was my intern boss, so, so to speak. I started as an intern. I, I felt, to be honest, I felt like I was more the intern than you guys were. Like, you guys were all running rings around me, and I'm just sitting here going, just, sit, like, trying to pretend that I have some control over what you guys all did. <laughs> oh, you don't give yourself enough credit, Sam. Well, anyway, um, <laughs> after my internship finished... I then moved on to the Saturday Brisbane Lion show at Fortable Z, which is the news and current affairs show. I was lucky enough with Sam to go through the um, announcer training as well. So I paneled that show and have a team of interns that work alongside me and we produce content for the show. And I'm also a casual radio producer and digital journalist for ABC Radio Brisbane. So you might see some of my news articles from time to time on the ABC website. Yeah, no, um... It's so fascinating speaking to people who are almost in step with, you know, my career progression. And it's kind of scary to know that we're all like going at this industry, like uh, journalism at the, at the same pace. Um, there's a lot going on in the industry and, um, uh, it's, it's so kind of exciting. Um, I know you've probably answered this like a thousand times because it's like the one question every podcaster kind of asks each other. Um, why did you start the Daily Red? What what was like the, the spark for you to start the podcast? 
Look, I wish I could say I thought of it on my own, but I actually had an old friend who came up with the idea and said, you know, you should do a podcast. Um, and I thought, you know, that's actually a really good idea. It's great to have your own portfolio and your own work. And I really started to enjoy it. And I thought to myself, what is something that I would cover? Oh, probably the arts. That's where my knowledge and expertise really is. That's probably something I would have done if I hadn't gone into journalism. And the reason why I went into journalism was because it kind of combined the arts where you're talking to an audience and my love for history and English, which was investigative and writing. And that, you know, it was very fulfilling to me to have it you know, do something which combined all three of my passions. So yeah, the podcast really came about after figuring out what I wanted to do, which was cover the arts and had gotten a little bit of experience at 4ZZZ talking to people, um, interviewing people using um, software like Reaper, which, you know, still to this day gets the best of me from time to time, but we're working through it. Look, I think every podcaster has like that mild bit of trauma from audio editing or something to that that effect. Um, I know uh, other creators on the Deus Ex Media Network, we all end up having a bit of a trauma dump every now and then about the the woes we have with editing. Um, And everyone uses like a slightly different process and different effects and different software. So it's always very fascinating uh, as to like what specific problems uh, people are, are dealing with. So... All, all well and good. <laughs> Reaper getting the best of you. Um, I use Audacity myself, so it's always a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, um, so through having conversations about people in the arts, have you felt like an, like, how do you feel it's changing the arts landscape by creating a podcast like this? Look, I think the purpose of my podcast is really to give the voice to people who don't usually have the chance to speak on mainstream media and also bring about issues and things they'd like to change and give them that platform to share their voice. For example, one of my favourite episodes, which I've done so far, which was the first episode of season two, which launched two weeks ago, I spoke to Oliver Hetherington-Page, who is an artist who has um, autism and his own one-man show. And he discussed when he was looking into some roles and it said, diversity encouraged, Often disability wasn't listed, and that to me is unbelievable considering if you're thinking of someone who is diverse, one of the biggest groups that would fall under diversity would be disability. So definitely having that platform to speak to people who usually wouldn't have the chance to share that story and their thoughts and things I'd like to see change in mainstream media. Yeah, it's kind of uh, very, very fascinating that you know the arts industry while uh super uh interesting and um sorry siri has activated and it is <laughs> i don't know it's whenever i say the s words um <laughs> but the arts industry is so fascinating because there is a there is a part of it where we are all very progressive people, you know. We're all about inclusion because financially it makes sense. It makes sense to include as many people as possible within the work that you do. It brings more people into theatres. It brings more people into concert halls, into art galleries. Uh, it makes more people listen to music or consume the content you're creating. But on the other side, 
there is this like, not laziness, but this efficiency complex that we kind of have where we are so obsessed with becoming as efficient as possible that we leave people behind. Um, and, you know, so on one hand, we're very inclusive and we want more people to be included, but these people are being left behind by our desire to be as fast moving as possible and be as, you know, on top of the curve as possible because there is that fear that we aren't going to be on top of the curve and we are going to sink into um, irrelevance. And it's kind of scary, to be honest. For sure. I mean, we've definitely come so far in terms of inclusion. And last, actually on Thursday, I spoke to a lady who helped um, Brisbane City Council plan the valley to be a more accessible place for people with a disability if they want to go to a venue. But we still have so much work to do. And she said, even in a lot of these venues, they still do like the bare minimum of what is required for accessibility. So yes, there there is still work to do. And it's great to be able to talk to people to share what they would like to see improve even when the minimum standards are met. And the other thing about the podcast is also for people who have an interest in the arts to hear either advice from people who are... um, quite uh what's the word i'm looking for um well come to me you know <laughs> well known in the arts in in queensland especially who have quite a high profile and um a lot of experience so to give some advice or behind the scenes of what it's like to actually perform and the reality of what it's like putting together a show it's all those sorts of things that are covered within, within the podcast mm-hmm. it's so interesting i think being a member of the arts like we are journalists we are sit under that kind of arts umbrella and we aren't very inclusive ourselves either from time to time as well you know i think things like journalism are very like speed focused right we've got to get that story out as fast as possible even in a newspaper that's only produced once a week you know we spend the whole week working as fast as possible to create a full newspaper within a week. And it's been very fascinating to see that there isn't a, a lot of time left for people who are, who, who are trying to, to work as fast as possible, but aren't working as fast as someone else. I'm really lucky. I work in a workplace that speed, yes, is quite important, but isn't like the be all and the end all. But there are other newsrooms even within the organization I work with, that speed is a lot more important and volume of volume of production is important. And I'm sure that, you know, my bosses and their bosses and their co-workers would take into account people's abilities and disabilities. But it is kind of scary knowing that it's not a very friendly place to start with, let alone trying to encourage people to work or, you know, uproot their lives to come and work in a place that is so far away from their routines and bits and pieces. Oh, absolutely. I have so much respect for you, considering that you've moved from Queensland to uh, regional Victoria. And yes, there's always that um, sort of debate with yourself, especially as a journalist, when you finish your degree, are you going to move into state? And you always have to decide, you know, is that the path for me? And I I believe that ultimately one day I will end up having to do that. But that also is terrifying to me, and I often think to myself, how would I survive? I know Sam survives, but how would I survive? <laughs> it's it's very fascinating, and not to, like, kind of 
toot my own horn, but moving rural, rural, rural <laughs> it's Saturday. Um, moving, it is a Saturday. I don't know why. Well, it is. A, it's a Saturday. I should be should be on top of everything. But um, moving rurally, rurally. Um, you might want to is, say that again. <laughs> no, no, no. We're going to keep it in this time. Um, but doing that is so much easier than I thought it was going to be. Admittedly, I'm an able-bodied person who has like a lot of support around me regardless of where I go because of some of the factors around my family in bits and pieces. And on top of that all, it's, you know, I I also live in a in a place that is relatively well connected to things like public transport and uh, flights and bits and pieces. Yes, I'm two hours away from the closest commercial airport. And yes, it would take me three hours on the bus to get into the nearest capital city. But it's still like, I still feel very incredibly connected. And I think it's kind of the beauty of journalism. Like one of the, um, one of the really inclusive parts I think about journalism is that you do have to speak to these people from a variety of backgrounds. You're not just speaking to uh, a person the, the same people over and over again. You've got your regulars, um, especially like I've, I've very much learned about the regulars here at our newspaper. But, you know, you've also you speak to people that you never would have thought you would have had a chance to speak to. Uh, and I think that that really forces you to open your mind to the possibilities of, you know, creating a more inclusive environment and also like making your work more inclusive for people as well, which is been definitely something I've found very interesting in a text-based format, which requires eyesight to read. You made a really interesting point. That's so true, like people you wouldn't usually talk to. So, for example, one of the stories that I had to cover yesterday, and I also did it on Forgeable Z today because I found it interesting, was about this huge um, blood drive that the Muslim community in Australia put on. And I actually spent a lot of time talking to the vice president of the uh, Islamic uh, Medical Association, Queensland, and he's Muslim and I'm Jewish. Uh, And usually, you know, the two uh, religions don't get on. Not that I'm a very religious person at all, but it's not someone that I usually would talk to in that capacity. So you have to actually get really good at talking to lots of different people. And if you do have your own religious views, which I don't, but I do know that I have some friends that would. You have to put those differences aside and just be professional and focus on what is the story that you're covering and not your own beliefs. And he actually was so friendly even today uh, on the radio. He said, and if you ever want to come and see these um, blood drives in person, you can come to our mosque. You're always welcome. So you get to meet lots of people and it's always interesting. You know, every day is different. You're not sure what it's going to look like. Oh, look, and the free stuff as well. Um, as much <laughs> as we've we've got to remain impartial, um, I do I do appreciate. Uh, I'm a I'm a sucker for free food. If you want to, I think if there was a trap set up and there was free food somewhere, I would walk into that trap and easily get trapped by <laughs> whoever nasty people want to get a hold of me because. I, yeah, definitely, definitely would take the free food, <laughs> um, but also like free experiences as well. You get to go and see things you never, I'm, I'm the kind of person, I'm very stingy with my money, you know, I've, I wouldn't go and see something unprompted, um, but as a journalist, you've got to go and do that kind of thing. And it's way more in, like, I have just gone and seen more and done more and engaged more with the community that, 
you know, I didn't even know existed six months ago. So, yeah, it's very fascinating. Like the fact that you got to go up to the mountains and see the snow, that's something (laughs) you never would have thought about living here in Queensland during summer that you'd be covering. No, 100%. It's kind of crazy. Um, And look, you know, as you said, you kind of created the Daily Red as a bit of a a profile boosting tool and lots of journalists end up kind of doing the same thing. Has it scratched an itch that you don't get to kind of scratch in your day-to-day journalism work? Look, I do suddenly miss the arts. I'm going to come at this from a certain uh, different perspective. Um, I miss the arts and miss performing, but talking to people within the art scene and what they're talking about, I, I think fulfills me in a sense as I'm still involved in the scene and I still get to talk to people in the arts. So that part of my sense of self, I believe, is uh, fulfilled. But in terms of journalism, yeah, it's great because I would love to do some more arts journalism work um, if it's for a paper or whichever publication I'm working for. So it's certainly, you know, not just for profile, but of own interest and also expertise where I can show, look, I've had a really in-depth look and sense of what the art scene is like and how to actually cover it well and well-roundedly as well. Yeah, yeah. Look, I think personally, you know, Content Capable uh, has been that, like, has scratched that itch of long-form journalism that I don't get to do, Uh, you know, in a newspaper format the longest your story is probably going to be is 800 to 1,000 words um, unless you're doing something really, really in-depth. And even then, like, the question is, do we have the resources or the space or the time to kind of do that thing? And with the, you know, we're all human, the, the, the staff are human when we're not AI <laughs> machines yet, but, you know. Um, yet. <laughs> we, <laughs> we all have things we've got to do and places we've got to be and people we've got to meet with and other responsibilities under our umbrella. Uh, and so we can't sit and, you know, for an hour and a half and speak to an individual person about how their passions have led them to this position currently. Um, or other desires, you know, there are other, other things that people really love. And so you've got to kind of balance it out. And I'm finding it really fascinating, even at four triple Z when I was working at four triple Z and kind of had a run of the place, you know, admittedly, and if Alexis is listening, a, I'm surprised. Um, uh, but, um, I B no, Alexis was in charge, but like I was, <laughs> You were there I kind as of had much. free reign. Alexis, Alexis was like, Sam, just do your thing. Um, which they, A, inflated my ego to the nth degree. I don't know <laughs> how I didn't, you know, become some entitled journalist um, who thought the world owed me attention with that, uh, knowing the way that my, my personality works. But also at the same time, I did kind of restrict myself and I didn't like let myself do some things that I probably could have done if I had spent the time and put the effort in to kind of, you know, do a really long form project. Um, I let myself indulge in those things from time to time. You know, I'm talking about elections and protest coverage. Those are really interesting things to me, but you can't do that all the time. And journalists can't do that all the time. I can't be that the protest reporter for, (laughs) you know, a news organization. (laughs) Admittedly, there's probably enough protests in a single country to be able to do that. But (laughs) There's you one don't today, need someone I think. who specialises in. Oh, there's one every day. Um, I, and the, what I see online is kind of crazy, to be honest. 
Yeah. Um, I love protests. Um, they're so much fun to cover. Um, and the panic you have when you're trying to turn a story around in time like that gives me such a such an adrenaline high. Oh, for sure. You never know what you're going to get either, like how hinged or unhinged someone's uh, response is going to be. But you hit, uh, made a really good point about long-form journalism. Yeah, that's something we don't really get to do very often. Um, if I'm writing a digital news article for ABC, it's about 400. And if I'm lucky, only if I'm lucky, 700 words, so pretty short, um, which is not easy for someone, you know, that likes a lot of detail like myself or at 4 Z about 5 to 10 minutes. So, yeah, the podcast, you really get to go in depth and explore what someone is like. But even just an observation for myself right now, it's it's very, <laughs> it's a bit strange for me to be interviewed because I'm usually the one interviewing and I'm not used <laughs> to actually being interviewed and talking so much about myself. Yeah, look, it's, um, it's kind of terrifying to be interviewed by especially by like one of your colleagues right um i had it happen a couple of weeks ago and of all things i'm ed- editing the episode where i complain about it um right now for for an episode that's coming out on monday and i'm like sitting here going oh really like <laughs> i it's it's just it's it, i don't like speaking about myself and my journey but i do love speaking I don't know. I can speak about my work to the nth degree, but <laughs> if I have to speak about my own personal life, I think I might lose the plot a little bit. <laughs> my my thing is like thinking to myself, do I sound like I'm making sense? Am I on the right track? Do I sound like I'm just talking utter nonsense? I mean, I've had a huge few weeks at the moment and I'm, I was at a networking event last night and the amount of times I just ended up going, blah, 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 you know, because I'm just quite exhausted and my brain's not functioning as well as it usually would and even even though I didn't have anything to drink some people may have thought I was drunk <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's that's always the the fun one when your words don't work and everyone thinks maybe you're slightly intoxicated it's kind of uh kind of weird because I will have to admit. they were all drinking but I wasn't drinking yet I was the one that sounded like I was struggling to put a sentence together. <laughs> Are you a, are you a drinker? Do you drink no. alcohol at all? Uh, sometimes. I I actually was ID'd on Australia Day, which I was um somewhat surprised about, <laughs> and that just happened to be the day where I'd forgotten my ID. Uh, maybe it was a good sign that I shouldn't have to have a drink anyway. Um, look, I I do drink if I go out occasionally on special occasions with friends or family, but I that's usually one drink. Two drinks is a uh, like a wild night for me. <laughs> look, I'm, I'm a, a small I'm a, person, you know that. Yeah. Look, I'm a I'm a I'm a social drinker and I, I, I don't like drinking by myself. I have done it and I do do it. Um but like I do prefer drinking with people. I'd love my dream, uh, and we should probably make this happen at some stage, is to have, like, a big dinner party, have a really long table with heaps of people, and, like, let the wine flow and, like, just, <laughs> you know, just have, you know, a few glasses of wine and let the conversation get rowdy oh, and loud. in vino veritas. Um, that will be crazy. Uh, um but like um i love that kind of stuff i love like for me drinking is a very social thing but you know also don't like i i do have to pace myself it's like i've got to i've got to make sure i'm not you know overdoing it um and i'm a lightweight myself yeah but journalists drink so much all the time (laughs) i've i've never I've never gotten to the like people have always outpaced me with their drinking. When I've whenever I've gone to a networking event, 
Um, in fact, there was one event. I won't name names and I won't name the event, but it was, there was an event where it all wrapped up about 10 o'clock. And most people had kind of gone home. And there's this group of journalists I was hanging out with, all radio journalists, coincidentally. Um, and uh, we're like, well, you know, this is kind of not great to finish now. No, I wasn't saying anything. I was, I was just kind of, I was the dumb community journalist uh, in the group. And um, they're like, well, you know, let's just go to another bar. And so we went to another bar and all got like another round of drinks. And I'm like, well, like this is A, late and B, um, this is a fair amount of alcohol that we've all had, just had. Like, Plus money. Drinks are becoming oh, yeah. so expensive these days as well. Um, I don't mind that, to be honest. It forces me not to drink that <laughs> Fair much. enough. Um, the one very uh, new cultural experience for me was actually your birthday, Sam, where I picked up a few uh, bottles of soft drink because I didn't really want to drink that night. And um, people were just saying to me, oh, I probably wouldn't drink that. There's a vodka in there. So finding a drink that actually had no alcohol was a mission. Oh, yeah. Like, it's it's so hard sometimes to kind of... Um, kind of, like, see what's going on and, like, understand what's going on, especially when, like, everyone else is kind of, like, operating at a different level as, as you, and it's uh, it's so weird sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. When you see three different spirits mixed together as well, and you're just like, is this oh. a good idea? I feel sorry my for your 21st, liver. My 21st got messy. It got very messy. It was um, my first uni party. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, it was, it was, uh, it got wild. It wasn't too wild. It was a very tame was event for, the for the, some of the, the stories I've heard. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, um, but yeah, no, it's kind of, it's kind of weird. All the, the crazy things as a journalist you kind of experience. And cause I said, said this before as well, journalists kind of straddle the line between, um, what's this called? Uh, from like a corporate kind of side to a to an art side, and so you kind of see not the best of both worlds, but you see both sides of like a a coin. Like when an artist is complaining about X, Y, and Z, you go, well, you know, A, B, C might be the factor that causes it from like a corporate perspective, uh, and uh, the distrust that some people have because you do dabble in both sides has been very strange to experience. Oh, I love reading comments on any of my ABC stories. People just always want to have a go at the ABC. I don't know what it is, but it's kind of like, did you really need to post that in public? I don't know what your comment's going to achieve. It's uh, really just being very petty. But you're right. Um, something that somewhat frustrates me, but I suppose there's some truth to it, is Alexis's... Con- Alexis's com- comments comments about um, the fact that journalism is becoming deprofessionalized, and that to me is very concerning, especially as we're seeing you know more job cuts. Um, it's ChatGPT, whatever it's called. <laughs> What's yeah. it called? ChatGP Chat or something? ChatGPT, yeah. ChatGPT. Um, you know, everyone's raving about that at the moment. Those things are very worrying. But you're right. We kind of are that industry in between where it's it's not really a corporate industry, but it's not the arts, but you relate to both sides. And people, I think, in journalism either come from one side or the other. Um, for example, when we went around 
in the room for one of my big semester, uh, one of my big uh, university lecturers in semester one of uni, the lecturer asked, um, what are your interests? I'd say half the people in the room actually said, like myself, they were interested in the arts and the other half were, you know, more interested in business. So, yeah, it is that like medium kind of middle point. Yeah, it is very fascinating. The amount of friends that we, like, amount of mutual friends we have who, and you do it to actually study law or study business with their journalism degree is weird, I want to say. It's like, you know, there is this weird worry that because it's a bit arty that, like, it might fall through and it's like, ooh, law might be a good (laughs) backup and do both at the same time or... Um, at least that's like one set of logic that I suppose the other set of logic is like court reporting and understanding a court system, which I've actually had to do court reporting now. It's kind of weird. Well, yeah, it's interesting that you say that. Um, I've met so many people, especially during Welcome Week for the Journalism Society, who said they were law and journalism students. And look, I haven't deferred my law degree, but I'm not doing any law subjects at the moment. And mum was actually the one that said to me, look, Bianca, you're not going to enjoy law. And I kind of thought, well, you know what? I'm going to prove you wrong. Um, turns out my mum actually knows me quite well and I'm not really enjoying law. And who knows yeah. if I'm actually going to finish it. But the reason why I did do law was one, you know, there always is that sense of maybe I'll have more luck and job security or more opportunity because I'm more strings to my bow. And also, oh, maybe a degree like this will help me with court reporting or it will help me with political reporting and that's sort of why I did it but I think you end up coming to a point in your degree where you realize that it's either going to be one or the other and I think in first year I realized that pretty quickly that the only thing I wanted to do was journalism so now the debate is do I want to finish that law degree so I actually have an extra string to my bow or do I want to finish it to get my journalism degree finished as quickly as possible and just start working in the industry. Yeah, look, it, it, it's a really fascinating section, uh, intersection of like being early in our careers as well. It's like where where do we go from here? Do we do we dive right into journalism? I, especially, I suppose you as a woman as well. Like so many female journalists who sit really high up in our profession here in Australia have stood down like they've they they've taken smaller roles or they've backed off especially in the light of the 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 election and the visceral hate that some people directed towards these journalists who were doing their job like there wasn't much more that these journalists could have done to have done their job as best they could within the confines of their organization um, and yet, you know, people directed such hate and vitriol towards them and not their male car- counterparts who, you know, don't receive the kind of disgusting comments that you see on the internet so often. Yeah, the thing that was really interesting was last night, this networking event was actually a woman and media event. And I love going to these events, they're a nationwide um, organization and they do a lot of work in Queensland. And they had a panel last night for International Women's Day. And the focus was mostly on gender pay gap and also women in leadership within newsrooms. And one of the uh, panelists said the issue is a lot of women end up in in leadership positions within uh, newsrooms, end up in areas like um, innovation. She said, like, nothing kind of 
it's there, but it's not really important. And she said, unless you control the people and unless you control the money, you don't have any power. So that to me was just a point that really stuck in my mind. And the other thing that was so fascinating, which um, one of the male mod- uh, panelists said was, oh, it's just slipped my mind. It'll come back to me. <laughs> It'll come Look, back to me. Yeah. No, but like it is, it's really important to kind of show diversity. You know, we talk about diversity so often in art spaces. Um, and I think art spaces are the hardest, like, it's not the last frontier, but it's like a really hard space to kind of achieve equality when it's not shown as well. Um, I always look to, uh, and Broadway's on the mind at the moment, but look to Broadway creators who advocate for, you know, more queer stories, more gender diverse stories, more LGBTQIA plus representation, but not only that, but also disability presentation and disability friendly shows and people with disabilities being in these casts and working for these. uh, And, you know, also showing that, you know, it, it doesn't matter what your existing life might be, but you're, it's not going to define what you, what, what you could do and what, what the future might hold for you. Yeah, for sure. If the points just come back to me, it was about the fact that if you're trying to look for a job raise, um, and they said often men are a lot more confident walking into the boss's office to get a job pay raise, um, but women aren't always so confident. And yes, it shouldn't be about, look, I'm doing my job well. They said that's expected. The thing you should be asking is, what value am I bringing to this company that makes me indispensable? And back to that point about disability, there's so many things that we can do to include people within the disability space. And we're doing it more, um, especially at ABC. For example, images, we always have to write um a caption so say for example the images of two people you say two people sitting down for example so there's always that caption where they can understand what that image would look like but also something I found very interesting the other day talking to this lady about the um, valley precincts becoming more accessible was even things online which are very easy to fix for example hashtags if you do your hashtags in capital letters people who um, uh are disabled can actually like listen to them and what that hashtag would be but if it's lowercase it doesn't translate so even things like that we can make changes to make it more inclusive in the online space wow like i didn't even think about those kind of things and this is the other thing that i think that people who work in communication industries have a really important job to do it's communicate how um all the time, my siblings complain that they've never been taught how to do something. They've only ever really been shown. And showing isn't teaching. Um, and, you know, teaching someone how to create, you know, as simple as stuff as like cooking a dinner, but also, you know, how to create more accessible content and how to use a wider variety of sources. Um, you know, I went to a, a cultural diversity event uh, a couple months ago where they turned around and said that you don't need to have the Islamic person on just for Isl- Islamic issues. You, you could have them on, you know, if they've got an expertise in 
uh, you know, in dentistry or whatever, you know, you don't have to use their cultural heritage or their disability or their sexuality as the only reason why you use them in an interview or use them in content. They can just be a queer person on stage or that character doesn't need to be central to the plot, but they could just definitely be queer. Like that's that, that kind of stuff, I think, and normalizing things like that is really important. Yeah, something I've been having with um, a lot of a conversation I've been having with a lot of um, the artists, especially Oliver in particular, is yes, quotas are great. Um, like you said, are we looking at someone with a diverse background or someone with a disability or um, who's LGBTQ? But maybe we shouldn't be saying, let's try and fill these boxes. An artist is an artist, which is why I called that um, episode An Artist is an Artist, because we should be pushing for equality not just to show yes we've ticked the box but everyone is equal and if that person's the right person for the job or the role that's who it should go to not because they tick a box because I feel like if they just tick a box then there's also that sense of guilt on their part because I feel like oh maybe I've just gotten this role or maybe I've just gotten that job because I feel that quota and get don't get me wrong I'm sure there are people that also see that and think oh that person just got it because you know they may be a first nations person or they may be um, LGBTQ+, and it's not just about their own um, expertise and capabilities. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of... I don't know. It's a, it's a very much a shortcoming of the profession, and I'm really hoping that in the future we get to kind of change that narrative and make it more accessible with that question, which... I'm looking forward to be really exciting to, to see that kind of thing happen. Um, yeah. And, and creating a more inclusive environment and a more welcoming environment, uh, is just so important. Absolutely. Um, look, like I said, we are doing the bare minimum at the moment, but there's always room to improve and talking to people on my podcast where I get to talk to them, especially within these more marginalized groups, you get to hear things that you wouldn't even know and things that we really should be improving. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's really important and starting a consistent dialogue, you know, and engaging with people and having conversations with people outside of our profession who who don't fit the mould of a, you know, a cishet person who who is not racially or culturally diverse, you know, outside of those people, we should be, you know, looking for more people to interact with in our day-to-day lives as well, which I think has been really, really important to me is, you know, looking beyond the the automatic circles that kind of are created and really assess and critically think about the circles that I am a part of. Yeah, it's also really interesting. And just going back to podcasting, it kind of fits in is the way you do your podcast to me is very different to the way I do mine. So, for example, some of the feedback I've gotten on mine is maybe it shouldn't be so interview-like, but also coming from a journalistic background, it's hard for me, you know, to kind of separate interviewing someone to just having a conversation. So it's been really interesting for me to see the way that you do your podcast, which is more conversational. And that goes to show with everything, there are many different ways of seeing things, and doing things and our market at the moment is so um broad and there's so much variety out there yeah yeah it's it's very very fascinating and i think that you know we are 
you know, at a crossroads at this point. We, you know, we can push forward and deliver even better content and really more informed content about, you know, what is really important to the communities who are most impacted by, um, you know, discrimination and bits and pieces, or we can not embrace that. And I think we're heading in the direction of actually embracing, you know, cultural, sexual, uh, gender and, and ethnic, ethnic diversity, um, to really show that, you know, this world is not just, you know, a representation of a, a small group of people. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Um, I often have a conversation with Dom and Alexis after doing Brisbane Line, and today came up, I was like, wouldn't it be great if I could go back to the 1950s where people, you know, used to write romantic love letters and things like that? And then Dom goes, but women didn't have gender equality. I'm like, yeah, that's that's true. That, that's true. And I feel like sometimes we forget that as well because we were lucky enough to be born in a generation where this has become sort of the norm. But you go back 70 years, that was not the case. And we also shouldn't take that for granted. Yeah, exactly. I think it's one of those one of those things that like obviously I don't know, sending letters sounds amazing, but you, you know, also need to understand that you didn't have rights. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's 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 very important in, in, in the general context of our lives. You know, you do need to have rights and bits and pieces. Yeah, and he was like, You probably wouldn't have been able to be a journalist back then either. I'm like, oh, that's probably right as well. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's yeah. always um I feel like it's a good wake up call. It is a very good wake up call and, and it's good to be reminded of those things, I think. Um Bianca, you said uh very much early on that you've you've worked very much in the performing arts as well. Um were you like you haven't done a lot from my understanding, you haven't done a huge amount in the in the actual performing arts space. Would you ever go back to performing? Look, I think about this all the time. Uh, I haven't actually been able to perform since leaving school. So during year 12, I played Cinderella in um, my school musical. I then sat my um, uh, Trinity ATCL exam, which is a diploma exam. And then I was lucky enough at the beginning of last year to play professionally for Ballet International Gala as a French horn player. But apart from that, you're right, I haven't performed and I just now cover the arts. And, you know, as much as I'd like to be able to go back and perform and during market day, I did go and talk to a few of the student-run organisations, I just don't think I have the time anymore. And it's sort of, you know, where's your focus? And my focus is my career at the moment. It is um, being a journalist. But through my podcast, I can still, you know, get that dose of, the passion that I really enjoy and I'm lucky enough you know to go to a lot of performances and see other people perform and that in my uh, that for myself brings me all the joy I need yeah look I I like what do you consider like not engaging with the performing arts like what exactly would you you know would you go and play in a community concert band or a community orchestra or something? It's not that I don't have the want. I most certainly do have the want. And every time I go and talk to the student-run groups, they give me the dates as to when they, you know, rehearse. And I just don't in my calendar have the space. And I know you did a lot 
And uh, I always have so much respect for you because you always were very busy. But for me, you know, I also have to pace myself in a way where I'm staying healthy, making sure I'm eating and going to the gym and getting my own podcast done and getting all the work that I have to do done for both uni and um, uh, also work commitments. And last year I did get a bit off track. I uh, was distracted for a few months and that, you know, was detrimental to some of my grades. And so this year I'm much more focusing on just a positive work-life balance. Not that that always happens, but look, at this stage, I just don't have the capacity to do it, but I do want to. And who's to say I won't come back in a few years time, but at this stage, I'm just not in a position to. Yeah, no, it's, it's valid. Um, I, I don't know. You, you, as you said, you kind of, you know, work, you do a lot of performing arts. You talk about the performing arts quite a lot. Has it because you're not actively performing, has that changed your relationship with the performing arts Whereas, as you talk about it on your podcast? Look, I think if you go and see a play, if you go and see some perform, you're engaging with it already. Um, so it's not great to say that you haven't engaged because if you've gone to first seek out someone who's performing, you've gone to buy a ticket and you actually show up and you watch it and you enjoy it, that's engaging with it. Um and, you know, <laughs> my French horn sits next to me every night I go to bed and I see it just, you know, kind of gathering dust. And that does make me sad. But I still get to talk to people. I still get to explore and hear more about what they do. And like I said, that for me at this stage is, is enough. Yeah, look, it's it's such a, such a complicated... Like, performing arts is one of those things where... There's this, all this talk about keeping on the pulse and keeping a part of the community. And oftentimes I'm like mildly terrified to not be performing all the time or being a part of a group that is aiming to perform fairly regularly because I'm worried that I will lose touch very, very quickly in terms of, you know, not just practice on an instrument, but also like my understanding of how the performing arts industry works. Not that it's like a fallback career for me or anything. I don't think I could make a career out of myself performing music. I'm not that good, but you know, it's also like a worry that I'm not, I'm still like, I, I'm, I'm a part of this community and I, and I feel very strongly about the community, but I'm not like, I, I've got to also like be consistently engaging in it. I think it's the way you look at it. Um, as journalists, who's to say a political reporter is not part of the political scene? I mean, they're there just as much. So why is an arts reporter not part of the arts scene? For example, um, Susan Hetherington is a lecturer at QUT, and I'm sure you had Susan for feature writing. She yeah. is a judge for the Matilda Award. She goes to all the events that are put on as VIP events uh, in Queensland. She's very much part of the scene, but she's in media. So why aren't media journalists part of the scene, I think, is not the correct way to think of it. I think we yeah. are part of the scene, but we're just not performing. And it's definitely a different side of things. And sure, you sometimes miss, as a performer, that excitement and that thrill of going on stage. But for me, also, if I was to do that again, I'd have to do it right and I'd have to do it well and put in a lot of hours to be able to bring it the justice that it deserves and I know that doing something half-baked is not going to be very fulfilling for me. Yeah, look, it's um, I, there, I think there's a bit of elitism in journalism as well that, like, 
journalism and PR sit very, very closely together. They rely on each other for for um, for their continued existence. And when so a journalist goes into PR or a PR person ends up in journalism, there is like a hate, not a hate, but like a, a side eye and a bit of suspicion from one to another. And I think that that is maybe probably part of my not terror, but my worry about like disconnecting from performing. I've also watched many family members stop performing and never really picking up their instrument again either, which I think is also re- like, it, it is hard to go back to, you know, you know, uh, picking up your instrument again and getting back into that regular practice routine, whether even if it is just going to rehearsals regularly. Yeah, it was really interesting to speak to Mawena, who is the lady that did the um, Fortitude Valley Disability Report, um, Accessibility Report, because she herself was actually studying a Bachelor of Music at the Queensland Con to become a professional flute player. And she was actually diagnosed with MS, and I don't know if you know much about MS, but their body temperature tends to fluctuate a lot. My mum used to support MS for many years, and one of the things she would always donate was air conditioners because they need to be in a cool environment. But for her, what she finds enjoyable is actually being able to help these art spaces uh, become more accessible for people with a disability like herself. So for her, she also sees it as she's very involved in the scene, even though it's not the intentional or um, the part that she, the path that she thought she was going to find herself on. And she did say to me that she still performs in a community ensemble as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, look. I, it's such a multifaceted kind of area as well. Like, there's just so much that can be done, and it feels overwhelming from time to time. And I think that you know the the role that communicators and journalists have is to let people know that they, that this easy and simple things that can be done to make spaces more accessible, make the performing arts more accessible, make the arts are more accessible. Oh, absolutely. Like like I said before, we are getting there, but there's still work to do. And I feel very privileged to be able to help share that message and I, I think be one of the pioneers in Queensland because, yes, there are a few arts journalists out there and I'm learning about more and more each day, but my podcast is quite unique as there isn't really another podcast in Queensland which focuses just on the Queensland art scene. And you can think about it in two different ways. Yes, it's very niche, but also it is that platform which is the first of its kind for an area which I think is really picking up. I think by the time the Olympics roll around, Queensland's art scene is going to just get better and better and bigger and bigger because we're seeing more artists move into state and also with all these venues, which I was discussing with Chris Stewart, the CEO of um, Q Music for one of my episodes, we also have that potential for these venues that would have been built for the Olympics to become performance spaces as well. So to be able to be one of the first in a scene which is just growing for me is, um, you know, I feel very privileged to be able to talk to these artists. Yeah, look, it, it, it's such a really interesting uh way to advocate for the arts what are you most excited for um in terms of like the next i don't know five years what are you most excited for in the queensland art scene look like i've briefly touched on we're seeing q music and brisbane city council taking a really big interest 
in the arts becoming more accessible for people to go and watch. And also we're seeing uh, more people like Oliver Hetherington Page who are getting uh, recognition for his work as an artist with a disability, but not just because he's disabled, but just being seen as an artist. I think our scene has the potential to become one of the first in Australia where we're seeing both of, the, both of these things just becoming a regular part of the art scene. And I'm excited for these artists that are moving into state to have in a few years' time these state-of-the-art um, venues, which are just going to be able to make the scene even bigger and better than it's ever been. And I think it has the potential to even overtake Melbourne in due course as the heart of the arts in Australia because the Queensland government and Brisbane City Council, especially with Brisbane Fest every year, which is a multi-million dollar festival, and I'm going to be speaking to Louise Bazina, who is the festival director later on in the year, is just becoming bigger each year and more money is thrown into it. And Brisbane City Council and Queensland government have a lot of arts, um, you know, they have those arts, not scholarships, but things that you grants that you can apply for yeah so i think we have so much support here for artists in queensland and hopefully more and more people start to take them up yeah look it's very exciting and i think we're <laughs> we're at a tipping point now in australia where the, the art scene is becoming more and more viable we're seeing newer and newer musicals and more and more new works and more australian works kind of getting a, a substantial foothold in the the public psyche beyond the art circles and i think we're we're at a point where we'll get to um really see what what's going on and the future um of what australian arts might look like and i'm really hoping that we keep our very australian twists on the stories that we tell or even you know our adaptations of existing stories absolutely and even we're seeing our venues that are already exist um not even the ones being built for the olympics such as the Brisbane Powerhouse, are always uh, continuously upgrading their venues. Um, QPAC is building a new theatre. And on the point of QPAC, we used to see the big musicals like Hamilton. Not that we're talking about Hamilton uh, as the example, but, for example, musicals of that scale used to just go to Sydney and Melbourne. And now they're coming to Brisbane, which I think just goes to show that there is interest here um, for the arts. Mm, very fascinating thank you Bianca so much for coming on the podcast it's been so much fun to sit here and chat with you about your personal journey with advocacy for the arts um, and what that's meant for the wider industry oh thank you for having me Sam has there been anything you've been reading writing or reading writing um, reading watching listening to that you wanted to plug ooh um, the Matilda Awards are on Monday and I'm looking forward to the Matilda Awards. I think they are, are a great organisation for artists in Queensland um, to get some more support and recognition for their work. Um, I think Hamilton being in Queensland is, like I said, a really great step in the right direction to show that the Queenslanders are serious about the arts. Brisbane Festival is always my highlight of the year, though. We have had family members and friends come up to the Brisbane from Sydney who have been just amazed at the level of uh, funding that goes into Brisbane Festival, but also the quality and the fun. Um, so that for me, which is coming up, I believe, in September every year, is always the highlight of the year. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Amazing. Uh, well, you can. F uh, where can people find you on the internet? Yeah, great. So I have a Instagram page 
for The Daily Red. You can find it as The Daily Red um, with Bianca Wiley if you just type that up into Instagram, same as uh, LinkedIn and Twitter and also TikTok. And if you want to find my podcast, you can find it on pretty much all podcast platforms. The big ones are Spotify and Apple as The Daily Red with Bianca Wiley. Amazing. Um, awesome. You can find me at sam.journalist on Instagram and on TikTok and samobjournalist on Twitter. You can find the podcast Content and Capable on Facebook and Content, the letter N, Capable uh, on Instagram and on Twitter. Um, definitely go check at it out on all socials there's something different for every platform um and i'm going to plug this week the disney plus series that's coming out episode by episode one of my least favorite things about uh, uh waiting is having to wait uh is the tv series not dead yet um which is i believe an abc tv series and if you're in the states i think it might be on hulu but um it's a really interesting story about uh, a journalist who uh, like left the profession for five years to go live with her boyfriend in London, uh, comes back to uh, Southern California and uh, goes back to her old workplace and becomes an obituary writer. And basically every person she has to write an obituary for, um, a dead person pops up. That's really interesting. Uh, Not a dead person. A ghost pops up. It's kind of like ghosts, but like lighter and journalism adjacent. Um, I really enjoyed the first four episodes that are out as of recording, um, and I'm guessing there's way more episodes to keep coming because it's such an amazing show. But yeah, definitely go check it out. Just speaking about that, and you said it's a show about journalism, another really great ABC show, which I loved, is called The Newsreader. If you haven't seen it, it's about a newsreader team in the 1980s, and they actually have a second season coming out Oh, that's awesome. I definitely have to check that one out. Um... Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Bianca, for coming on the podcast. It's been so fun recording and chatting with you. Thank you for having me, Sam. It's great to see your face, even though you're all the way in Victoria. Content and Capable was recorded, edited, and produced by Samuel O'Brien. You can follow the podcast at Content, the letter N, Capable on Instagram and Twitter, and you can find it on Facebook. You can also send an email through to contentandcapablepod at gmail.com with any of your thoughts, queries, or concerns. The best way to support the podcast is to leave a review on your preferred podcatcher so more people can hear the podcast. The art was done by Opia, and the music was written, edited, and produced by Jason Hilton. Content and Capable is proud to be a part of the Deus Ex Media Network, where you can find a podcast for any of your nerdy interests. What's up, potheads? I'm Christina Kahn, host of The Restricted Section, the Harry Potter slander Harry Potter book club podcast. We are a raunchy, rambling, unabashedly pro-trans rights Harry Potter book club podcast hosted by a bunch of nihilistic millennials who are desperately clinging to childhood fantasies as a way to escape the monotony of our nine to five work culture and the inevitable extinction of the human race at our own hands. Isn't it wild that this book series was spontaneously created by the gods and has no actual author? Welcome to the show! The Restricted section releases episodes on Wednesdays. This summer we're releasing bonus episodes fortnightly. We just finished The Goblet of Fire, so you have plenty of time to catch up before we start Order of the Phoenix at the end of August. The Restricted Section is a Movie Night Crew Network podcast and can be found at Restricted Section Pod or at Restricted Pod across all the socials. And just to make it clear, Fuck turfs.
Thank you for listening to Content and Capable. Don't forget to rate and review, and we'll see you next week for another episode. Dave X Media.